Welcome to Your Cathedral Podcast, a podcast from the Cathedral Church of St. Luke and St. Paul in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information on our church, please visit yourcathedral.org. Would you please pray with me? Father, we need your help today. For we don't want to leave this place as we came in here. We don't want to leave this place unchanged. And so we ask now that as we open up your scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to know Jesus. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, friends. Nice to see you all. My name is Patrick Schlabs. If I've not met you, I'm one of the pastors here. Happy to be up here opening up the scriptures with you this morning. It seems to me that no matter how huge or significant or life-altering the event that occurs, that very quickly and unceremoniously we return to something like normal life. If you, for instance, accomplish the huge milestone of finishing college or graduate school or med school, It's amazing. It's worth celebrating. It's huge. But eventually, Monday morning comes. You have to show up. And then you have to show up the next day and the next day and the next day. And you're into this pattern of normal life. If you are one who makes a commitment to another person to love them and to cherish them till death do you part. It's beautiful. It's a celebration. And not long after the bride and the groom depart with confetti Right, the bright lights come on, it's time to clean up. And then for the couple themselves, within a few weeks, right, they're fussing at each other, they're arguing, normal life returns. At the end of a long, illustrious career, you retire, and you wake up the next morning, and you say, now what? How much golf can you actually play? No matter how great or huge or significant the moments we encounter in this life, eventually, real life is right on the heels just two weeks ago, from this morning, we had this amazing celebration. If you were here with us, we, we partied. It was amazing. We had amazing music, amazing flowers. We had a bishop. I'm sure some of you ate delicious ham afterwards. And yet here we are, 14 days later, and we've come back to normal life. Some of you may have even forgotten that that happened two weeks ago. Because of jobs and school and stress and the pains of normal life. Yes, Christ is risen, friends, but who's going to do the dishes? Christ is risen, but don't forget to pay the taxes. Christ is risen, but don't forget the homework. Whatever it is, normal life will find us. In John's Gospel, which we just heard read by Pete, chapter 21, just one chapter before in chapter 20, the disciples have met the risen Christ, in several various encounters. At the beginning of the chapter, Mary Magdalene meets Jesus, and she thinks that he's a gardener. And then later that evening, we're told on the first day, on the resurrection Sunday, the disciples are together, they're gathered together for fear, and Jesus miraculously comes among them and says, I am who I said I am. I have done what I said I would do. I've risen from the dead. It's a beautiful, powerful encounter. And then last week, Hunter Myers talked about it at the end of chapter 20. Uh, for whatever reason, Thomas, the disciple we find, was not with the disciples that first encounter. And so the next Sunday, 
Jesus comes again. And Thomas had said he would not believe if he had not felt the hands. If he had not placed his hand in Jesus' side, he wouldn't believe that he was in fact there, that he had in fact risen from the dead. Beautiful images. The disciples are gathered together, and somehow miraculously Jesus comes among them, reveals himself to them. At the end of chapter 20, we find this perfect ending for John's gospel. In verse 30 of chapter 20, yeah, verse 30, uh, John says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What an amazing bow to wrap up this entire gospel. And some scholars do, in fact, believe that this was the original ending of John's gospel. It it just makes too much sense. But as you just heard, John does not end there. He does not tie it up in a perfect bow. We have this extra funny, awkward chapter 21. And I, for one, am grateful that we have it. Other scholars argue that this is the perfect ending. John has a, an epilogue, a prologue rather, in chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. And then why not have an epilogue, says Dale Bruner. And I'm going to tell you this morning that I think John 20 provides one paradigm for an encounter with the risen Christ. We might call that the miraculous. Jesus is moving through doors, moving through buildings, Letting them feel the places in his hands and his side. But John 21 gives us another paradigm that is just as essential. And that is Jesus meeting us in the mundane. Not just the miraculous, but the mundane. And I believe, friends, that 2,000 years on from the resurrection, that we need this second paradigm as much as we need the first. And so I do invite you to turn with me in your pew Bibles to John 21. You can find that if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can find that on page 907. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that one with you. Happy to send that along. So verse 1, it makes clear that Jesus reveals himself to his disciples again. And this time it is away from Jerusalem, away from the place of his suffering and his death. And it's all the way up in Galilee, at the Sea of Tiberias. It says that Jesus did it this way. Sets us up for the uniqueness of this encounter. And then we find that Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James and John, who are the sons of Zebedee, and then two other unnamed disciples, all seven of them are together. And Peter says to them, I'm going fishing. I had a pastor back in the day who said that he, at some point in his life, maybe in retirement, was going to buy a camper, and he was going to paint that verse up on the camper. I am going fishing, just like Peter. And the rest of them, it seems, having nothing to better, do, better to do, say, we will go with you. And the, John tells us that they fished all night. Professional fishermen fished all night, and they caught nothing. And then verse 4 says that as the day was breaking, Jesus came to the shore, but they did not know that it was Jesus. And I think it's a fair question of why exactly Peter is going fishing here. The text does not tell us clearly, and there's been a lot of debate by interpreters, by, by commentators, asking what is it about Peter? Why does John tell us this? Is Peter disappointed? Is he frustrated? Does he have doubts? Is he showing that he has little faith in believing that Jesus will meet them again, will empower them again for 
new mission by the Holy Spirit as he promised. But I don't think we have that in the text. I don't think we, there's no sense in here that they're doing something wrong. And a lot of commentators from Augustine to John Calvin say that this is just a return to normal life. Peter and these seven disciples have moved from this encounter with Jesus, the risen Christ, the weeks after the resurrection, and they're back in a normal life. They're away from Jerusalem. They are fishermen. And after all of the crazy, amazing, beautiful things that they've seen over the last three years, they're back into the mundane, day-to-day work of fishermen. And it's right here in this moment, in their day-to-day mundane tasks, that Jesus reveals himself to them. And this is good news for us, friends. The risen Christ is not just revealed to us in temples or in monasteries with holy people or in Jerusalem or in Rome, these seas of ecclesiastical power. The risen Christ is not just made known to us in beautiful buildings like this or that we find around our city. The risen Christ is not just made known to us on Sunday mornings from 1030 to 1145. The risen Christ, John tells us, meets us in the normal, mundane, daily tasks that we have. So whether we are going to work, going to school, caring for our families, caring for our children, caring for our homes, whatever it is, in those normal day-to-day lives, Jesus encounters us. He meets us. That's good news. Verse 5, Jesus yells out to the disciples who have caught nothing at this point, and he says, children, do you have any fish? And they very simply say, no. Part of what I love about this passage is just the, the, the details of it, the humanness of this encounter. John goes from the lofty heights of theology, connecting it to the Genesis story. He focuses throughout his book on the lordship of Jesus. And here we see this encounter with friends. Children, do you have any fish? And he says, they say no. He tells them, cast your net on the right side, on the other side, the starboard side of the boat, and you will find them. So it says that they do that, and they are not able to haul in the net because it has so many fish. The disciples are back to their jobs. Presumably they've done this thousands of times, maybe tens of thousands of times. They've gone out at night, they've cast their nets, and they've caught fish. That's what they do. They're professionals. And yet here they find nothing. I'm a terrible fisherman, so I can sympathize with this. A couple of years ago, um, we took our kids to, Kent, uh, to North Carolina for a spring break trip, and we went and saw one of those uh, trout hatcheries, you know, just the little ponds where they're hatching trout. And I, before you, I mean, I know how lame this is, right, to go to one of those. But the kids liked it, and when you grow up as landlocked as I did, you need all the help you can get, right? You need them basically served up for you on a platter right there. And so we're there for two hours, and we're casting, we're casting, we're moving around, and I can literally look down and see like 10 massive trout right there. No luck. Like, they, they will not bite. They literally will not bite. And so right before we're about to give up, we're hot and we're tired and we're frustrated. We feel like failures. One of the guys who runs this hatchery comes out and says, hey, do you guys need a little bit of help? I'm like, yeah, please, whatever. And seriously, one cast, boom, fish on. And then another cast, fish on. And he just keeps doing it. And he kind of walks around to all the people like me who are terrible fishermen and just pulls fish out of the water. It's this amazing thing. And we go home and we eat these two delicious trout. 
So I kind of sympathize with the disciples' feelings here. And I want to say that here, John, I think, shows us that Jesus does not simply show up in the midst of our triumphs, in the midst of our success, in the midst of our winning. Jesus comes precisely, Dale Bruner says, to these disciples who are disappointed in their work. He comes to them in the midst of their failure, in the midst of their sadness, in the midst of their grief, whatever it is. Jesus is present with them in this low ebb. And I don't know about you, but that is good news to me. Who have been through enough low ebbs and flows in the Christian life to know that Jesus is not just present here, but he's present here in the midst of this disappointment. Jesus reveals himself. Verse 7 says that the disciple whom Jesus loved, who if you've read the Gospel of John, you'll be familiar with. Probably the writer of John, or the writer of this gospel, John himself, is describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he leans over to Peter and says, it is the Lord that's yelled to us. When Peter heard, it says that he wrapped his outer garment around him and threw himself into the sea. So excited. Another beautiful human moment in this text. It says that the others came in the boat, are hauling this massive net full of fish. 153, we'll find find in just a second, 153 large fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved is an interesting character here because he likes to throw shade at Peter. If you'll remember from the last chapter, uh, whenever they first hear that something has happened in the tomb, uh, you know, Peter takes off running and, and the writer of John's gospel says that he passed him up. And then here, Peter can't even recognize that it is the Lord until this disciple whom Jesus loves says, that's Jesus. And sometimes, friends, it's the same for us. Especially when we are in the midst of confusion or disappointment our minds can be foggy. Some of you have experienced that. If you walk through seasons of grief, it's just difficult to think. It's difficult to, to know what's happening, to know up from down, to see the forest for the trees. And we need other people. We need other disciples to say, it is the Lord. To reveal Jesus to us. It is the Lord who is with you in the midst of what you're walking through. It is the Lord who is working, even though it seems like he is distant and far off. It is the Lord who is leading you and guiding you, though it seems that he is gone, is hidden. The Lord is with you. I say this often, but I think friends have been one of the primary places that Jesus has been revealed to me. And if you've not encountered that, if you've not encountered Christian uh, friends that have pointed you to Jesus and said, this is the Lord, may I just commend your pursuit of that. It's worth it. My faith would be wrecked and has been almost wrecked multiple times were it not for my friends pointing me to Jesus. That's why we do things like lunch on the lawn, to make space for connection. That's why we do community groups, people that can surround you and say, it is the Lord. That's what Peter gets here. Verse 9, they finally make it to shore. And John says that there's a fire there, that there is charcoal and there's fish on the fire there's bread and Jesus says to them bring some of the fish that you just caught says Peter gets up and he hauls the net and he brings these large fish 153 I don't know why we know that number but the early church fathers had a heyday with it it's really fascinating Jerome uh, thought it was for that thought it was representative of all creation that there were 153 types of fish known 
Augustine tried to do something about the Gentiles and the Trinity. It's really interesting numerology stuff, but I think we probably just know because we know a lot of specific things in this story. We know that they were 100 yards off. We know that Peter was stripped for work and he tied it it to himself. We know that Jesus is there with a charcoal fire. We know all of these interesting details. We know there were 153 large fish and that the net, though there were many fish, was not torn. So the disciples come in. They've worked all night. They failed to catch anything. They're probably exhausted, tired. And the invitation from Jesus is not, why did you go fishing? I told you to stay in Jerusalem and wait for power from on high. I told you to preach my gospel, to go heal. Why are you not doing the things that I've entrusted to you? Oh, ye of little faith. Jesus doesn't say any of that. He says, come and have breakfast. Come and eat. He took bread. He gave it to them. That should sound familiar. And in fact, many of the early Christians, whenever they put images of of Jesus, had not bread and wine, but bread and fish. Because they saw in this image the nourishment, the feeding of Christ for his people. The risen Jesus does reveal himself into these myriad of ordinary ways in our daily tasks, in the normal disappointments of life, through our friends who point us to him. But he also reveals himself in this ordinary meal. He nourishes us with his word and with his sacraments. In our prayers for morning prayer in the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, there's a a concluding prayer that says, we thank you for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. Means of grace is uh, church language for the ways that were nourished by God. And they are primarily found in word and sacrament. They're primarily found as we gather together with God's people to hear beautiful music, a mediocre sermon, as we eat stale, styrofoam-tasting bread, and really good port, right? We kind of try to balance it out with that. The bread's not great, the port's really good, so... You're welcome. But as we do that, we're nourished, friends. Again and again and again we gather. We're nourished and fed. And Jesus says to us, come and eat. Not ye of little faith. Not where were you last week? I knew that you were sleeping in. Not you should have done more for me this week. Or I saw that. I saw the time you wasted. I saw the ways that you cursed your neighbor or the ways that you... uh, uh, Flipped off the driver who cut you off in traffic? No, he says, come and eat. Come and eat. Come and feast with the risen Christ in this ordinary, simple meal. Tish Warren, an Anglican priest, an author, says this. Of all the things that Jesus could have chosen to have us do in remembrance of him, he chose a meal. He could have asked his followers to do something impressive or mystical, to climb a mountain, to fast for 40 days, or to have a trippy sweat lodge ceremony. But instead he picks the most ordinary of acts, eating through which he is present with his people. And I don't know about you, but I think there are times where John 21 and John 20 feel far away. They're literally far away, but they feel like the ancient past. It doesn't seem that the risen Christ is present to me in any of those things, any one of those things. And of course, this is all around us, right? We live in a world that is incredibly cynical, 
incredibly disappointed. Faith in Jesus seems to be dissipating. Christian practice seems to be on retreat. Deconstruction is on the rise. Many people stepping away from the faith saying, yeah, I don't think I'm in for this anymore. I don't know that I believe this. I'm sure some of you feel those very forces pulling on your heart this morning. And in some ways it makes sense, right, for many of us. We've had the last two plus years of our lives disrupted. We've been deprived of a lot of these normal things, right? I said we turn, return to normal life, and in some ways we're back to normal life out of the pandemic, but in some ways it's still totally abnormal. It's a new normal. And for two plus years we were deprived of the ordinary task of life, or we were deprived from doing our jobs the way we had always done them. We were filled with disappointment. We were isolated from our friends. We were unable to come and feed here in church on a Sunday morning. We've been disconnected from all of those ordinary things. So in some ways it makes sense that our doubts would dominate. And yet I'm encouraged that here in this encounter in John 21, that doubt is still present. That even then Jesus welcomes them in. We, we hear that as, even as they are sitting around a fire, eating with Jesus, eating fish and eating bread, that they are even tempted. It says no one would dare to tempt him, but the implication there is no one had the courage to say, is this really you? And I think John tells us there were some lingering doubts. They're with the risen Christ, present with him, but are unsure if he's really with them. And it says that as they were there eating with him, they didn't dare, they didn't have the courage to ask him, is it really him? Because they knew. In their gut, they knew that the risen Christ was present. Is the risen Christ really with us in the mundane, not just in the miraculous? I think John this morning shows us, reminds us that the risen Jesus took upon himself the ordinary lives that you and I do day in, day out. The life of friends, the life of carpentry, life of frustration, life of sorrow. Through his incarnation, he has taken it upon himself. <coughs> Excuse me. He's taken upon himself our disappointment, faced it down, the darkest that humanity can encounter, took our shame, took our sin, took our failure, took our brokenness upon his body in the cross. More than that, he has reconciled us, friends, with God the Father through his work upon the cross. In his resurrection, he destroyed death. And even in the midst of our doubts, even in the midst of the mundane, wearisome, normal lives that we live, the risen Jesus shows us that he is present with us. Normal life has returned, friends, but it is still Easter. And Jesus is with us in it. Amen.